In this series, we've seen that God grieves over the cause of all of our grief, which is sin. We talked about that at the beginning of the series as we started. We've also seen uh, last week that He doesn't stop there. Aren't you glad He doesn't stop there? He doesn't just grieve over the cause of sin. He actually shares our grief. He enters in to our grief and He shares uh, the grief that we are, are going through. And He personally experienced it. He personally experienced our grief in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the question, does God understand? He does. He does. Always. Intimately. Because He personally experienced the full breadth and depth of all of our grief. Today, we're going to find God carrying our grief. God carrying our grief. That's what we're going to focus in on today as we continue in this series, Finding God in Our Grief. As we began this series, we really did go back to the beginning, all the way back to the beginning, to the Garden of Eden, where we find God the Creator broken-hearted and grieving in the garden over the sin committed by His most precious creation, Adam and Eve. However, in the midst of that tragedy, and it is a tragedy, in the midst of that tragedy, though, we, we have a picture and a promise provided. It's a picture and a promise of a future remedy. All that was ruined in the Garden of Eden, there was a, a promise given that remedy would come, that there would be hope, that all would not continue as it now was. We see that pictured in the garments that God made, the garments of skin from an innocent animal sacrificed on behalf of Adam and Eve. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. That didn't work. God made coverings for them out of animal skin. An animal had to die because of the choice they made. It's a beautiful and profound picture of the coming atonement that Jesus would provide. And then also the first prophecy of that coming, the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, was given in Genesis 3.15. The first uh, pointing to the coming Jesus and the sacrifice that He would make. All of that was in the garden. Fast forward about 4,000 years and you come to the fulfillment of all of those pictures and promises that started there in the garden and, and went on through time that God gave to His people. We have the Incarnation. The eternal Word that spoke all of creation and all the universe into being. The eternal Word made flesh. And as the purpose for the incarnation, the whole reason it happened, the whole reason of Jesus coming is about to be completed, we are shown an unforgettable scene. It's a, a picture that should be seared into your mind and down to your very soul. It's a picture, an image of the Creator that grieved in Eden being also the same God and the Savior that grieved in Gethsemane. The Creator that grieved in Eden was also the Savior that grieved in Gethsemane. Isn't that incredible? It's an astounding fact that the One who created everything and who saw His creation turn against Him in rebellion didn't just leave 
creation didn't just leave mankind and, and us through Adam and Eve, did not just leave us to our own sinful, helpless, hopeless state, but He intervened. And He came. He became one of us for the purpose of rescuing us. And the Creator that grieved in Eden at the original sin of mankind was now the Savior grieving in Gethsemane. It's the same God. The God that that grieved over our sin in the Garden of Eden was the same God that now is in the Garden of Gethsemane grieving. And why is He grieving? He's grieving because He's preparing to receive that very sin that happened in the Garden. He's preparing to receive our sin and our rightly deserved judgment on that sin. All the judgment that should fall on us, all the wrath of the Father that that is deserved by us was about to be poured out on on the Son of God, on the Creator. Look at that scene with me. Matthew chapter 26. And uh, I'm going to zero in on verses 36 through 39. Matthew 26, 36 through 39. And remember, the one that is pictured here, the one that this is focused on, is the very Creator Himself. The one that was in the Garden of Eden is now in a different garden, still grieving. Grieving in a much more personal way. Matthew 26, verse 36. God's Word says this, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, which is, by the way, the place of crushing. It's an olive grove. And said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. What happened before this was they were in the upper room for the Last Supper, and Peter gave his famous statement full of bravado after Jesus said, some of you will turn away and one of you will deny me, deny that you even knew me. Peter says, not me. All of these might turn away from you. All these, you know, these useless bunches of, of guys over here, they may, they may turn away from you. They may desert you. They may leave. I never will. I'm going to go with you to the very death. And that's when Jesus said, Oh, Peter, no, before the rooster crows, you'll deny that you even knew me three times. Uh, and so all that happened, all that took place, and they went from the upper room, they went toward the garden. And that's where we we pick up this. Sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began, look at this part, and began to be grieved and distressed. We're, We're talking through this series all about finding God in our grief. Where is He? What, what does He do in our, in our grief and with grief? Well, here we see God Himself, the Creator, the Savior, grieving and, and being distressed. Verse 38, Then He said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with Me. And He went a little beyond them and fell on His face and prayed, saying, My Father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Why was 
Why was the Son of God, the Creator, so grieved in this situation? Why was He so grieved to the, being to the point of death, to the point where his, his sweat became as drops of blood, the text tells us? Why was He in such anguish? Why was He saying, let this cup pass from Me? What was the cup He was referring to? Why was all this happening? Why was this being stated by Jesus? Why was He feeling this? It's because of this. The Father's judgment, the one He was praying to, the Father's judgment that we deserved fell on His Son. And He carried that to His death. That's the why behind what is being expressed here and the why behind why Jesus is grieved to this point, to this degree. The Father's judgment that we deserved fell on His Son and He carried it to His death. All of the weight of of the wrath of the completely righteous Father, all of the wrath for all of our sin that we deserve to carry fell not on us, but on Jesus. And remember, Jesus shares fully the divine nature of His Father. So that means, as much as the Father hates sin and has never entertained it, cannot be in the presence of sin at all, all of of those characteristics that reside in the Father reside in the Son. And so, here you have the eternally righteous, holy Son of God, God the Son, being prepared to receive the the full cup of not just the Father's wrath on sin, but He is preparing to absorb into Himself all of humanity's sin. The sin that happened in the Garden of Eden, the sin that happened with Cain, and on down through all of humanity, all through history, up through today, to you sitting in these seats, to your grandchildren, and all that will come after us as long as time continues until the restoration of all things, all the sin of universal humanity was going to be absorbed by God the Son. That's the cup that Jesus was prepared, preparing to drink that was awaiting Him. And He knew that. And He knew that beyond the, the suffering of the cross, there was the, going to be the suffering of receiving all of that judgment, all of that penalty, all of that wrath in, in full measure by His Father. It should remind you, uh, you should picture in your mind, it does for me, and I would think it would for you, something that happened on another mountain, and it was probably the same mountain range, the same area that Jesus was going to climb to go up to uh, to be crucified, but with Abraham and Isaac. The mount where He took His Son and put Him on the altar and was prepared to plunge the knife into His Son, the Son of Promise. And there was a voice from heaven, the angel of the Lord, which was God the Son before He came to Bethlehem, the second person of the Trinity, calling out to Him, Stop! Don't don't harm your Son! And the knife was stayed. The knife did not go down. The sacrifice wasn't completed. And 
there was a ram caught in the thickets, and that was offered. But on that very mountain, and the name of the mountain was, the Lord will provide, Yahweh will provide on this mountain. It was that mountain that Jesus was prepared to go to in just a little while. And on that mountain, this time, the knife wasn't going to be stayed. The knife was going to fall. The sacrifice was going to be completed. That's what was awaiting God the Son. That's why He was in such anguish, such grief, being prepared to take the cause of all of our grief on Himself to the cross. We see that prophesied in great detail and in just a a stirring, chilling detail in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 4-6, we read, this prophecy about what was going to take place and what Jesus was on His face grieving about. Isaiah 53, 4-6 says this about the suffering servant Jesus. Surely our griefs, yours and mine, surely our griefs He Himself bore. He carried. And our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And here He is in the garden of the place of crushing, having that fulfilled. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace fell upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Praise God. And here's the fulfillment of that prophecy and that plan that plan that was put in place long before the world even began. Before Adam and Eve were created, before they fell, before they sinned, the plan for their redemption was put in place. And now here's the fulfillment of that plan and that prophecy that we just read in Isaiah 53. In Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 46. So Jesus has left. He's gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's left under guard. He's been arrested. He's been taken to trial. He's been tried and convicted wrongfully, undeservedly, but willingly. He's been put to the cross. He's there in agony, suffocating, literally. Verse 45 of Matthew 27 says this, Now from the sixth hour, so that's noon, from the sixth hour darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, something that really should not have happened because of the agony that He was going through, because of what was happening with His lungs, even as they were filling with fluid and with blood. And the fact that he had been tortured to the point of death and dehydrated and 
everything else that was going on physically. He shouldn't have been able to do this, but he did. Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Ele, Ele, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt forsaken? Have you ever felt abandoned? Totally isolated? If you have, you know the grief that that causes at the soul level. When you feel like there's literally no one else that you can turn to, no one else that can understand what you're going through. You are utterly alone. And you know the depth of the grief that that causes. The amazing reality is that your Creator knows that too. And He knows that more than any of you could ever, more than I could ever feel or, or understand. He, he knows the feeling of being abandoned and forsaken and being isolated and utterly alone more than anyone ever could. And that enables Him to know exactly what you feel like when you feel that way. And the reason that he feels that and understands that and knows what that is goes far beyond the reason that you have ever felt that way. The reason that he felt so forsaken and was forsaken by his Father for the first time in all of eternity is given to us in great specific detail in 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is what was going on which is what caused Jesus to cry out with that loud voice saying to His Father. And He didn't call Him Father. You notice that. He said, My God, My God. Because He was was under the weight of God and under the weight of His wrath for all the sin that Jesus was absorbing there on the cross. And the reason He felt that, that abandonment and the reason that He was abandoned, turned away from by His Father for the first moment in all of eternity, the reason for that is found in this passage, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, God the Father, made Him, God the Son, who knew no sin. Remember, I said just a few moments ago, Jesus was completely Righteous and holy, just as His Father. He completely was was separate from any sin in His very person, just as the Father was. So the Father made Him, the Son who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. On our behalf. So that, the, the purpose of that was this, so that we, the sinner, might become the righteousness of God in Him. Look at that exchange. That's what was happening on the cross. As as Jesus is stretched out on the cross, see that and see His arms stretched out and see an exchange happening. On one hand, He's receiving all of our sin and all of God's judgment. And on the other hand, He's extending that out to us, giving us His righteousness. He became our sin so that we could become His righteousness. That's the cross. That's the Gospel. And that's why the Father turned away from His own Son. And of course, of course darkness came, right? As God the Father's face is turning away from God the Son, 
the creator of, of all things, the, the righteous one, of course darkness would be the result. And the depth of grief that Jesus felt was unlike any he had ever felt and unlike any anyone else could ever feel. Abandoned by his own father as he became the sin that his father could not even look at. And he did it all for us, for you and for me. If you ever wonder, do I matter? If you ever wonder, do I have value? If you ever wonder, is there purpose for my life? If you ever wonder, does anyone actually truly love me? The answer is the cross to all of that. That's why He came. That was the reason Jesus, the Creator, became the the humanity that He created. That He took on the human flesh that He Himself had created. It was all for that purpose. Hebrews 2.14-15 tells us that. Hebrews 2.14-15 The author of Hebrews there says about Jesus and about the Incarnation. Verse 14, Therefore, since the children, that's humanity, share in flesh and blood, He Himself, talking about Jesus, He Himself likewise also partook of the same. Since we share in flesh and blood, Jesus also partook of the same for this reason, for this purpose, one goal, that through death, because I mean, He had to take on humanity, human flesh, to be able to die. God had to become man if He were to be able to die. That through death, He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death, that's all of us, were subject to slavery all their lives. This is an incredible passage. That because you and I have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also partook of the same, all so He could offer Himself in death, that through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and free us from the slavery to fear of death all of our lives. What that means, putting it in another way and and very concisely, means this, Jesus carried, carried the cause of our grief our sin, to the cross. And He caused death to lose its power. (laughs) That's the good news of the Gospel. Jesus carried the cause of our grief to the cross and He caused death to lose its power. You know, um, there's there's, uh, the way that they make antivenom is by taking a snake and draining the venom from its fangs. It's taking the very venom that it has and turning it into anti-venom used to uh, treat and provide remedy for a snake bite. The snake bite still hurts if you get bitten by, a, by that very snake, but if the venom's out, it's not going to, to be uh, a mortal wound. It's not going to cause you to die because there's no venom left. That's really a picture of what happened at the cross. It's not that death doesn't hurt. It's not that death doesn't hold any pain for the believer. It's not that that death isn't still scary. 
But my friends, if you're in Christ, if you have given your life to Christ, if you committed yourself to the One who went to the cross for you, when death comes for you, it doesn't have any venom for you. There's no venom left in that bite. Jesus drained it all at the cross. The really amazing thing about all of this, though, is that it wasn't just limited to the cross, and it's not just about victory over death. Jesus didn't just provide victory over death. That's certainly what He provided, but it's not just that. I want you to understand that Jesus also provides relief from the regular griefs and the burdens of everyday living. Uh, We all have incredible griefs and burdens that we carry every single day. A thousand different ways. (laughs) Life is hard. It's tough. It's challenging. It's exhausting. It's after recovering from the flu, you hear that your your dad is in the hospital and you're, you're going to spend the night in the hospital after you yourself are still exhausted and going back and forth between the hospital and the house to check on your mom. That's what Sandy Lawson's doing right now. And, and it's, it's a thousand other just daily exhausting trials and challenges and griefs and burdens. And so it's really, really good news, I think, that Jesus doesn't just provide victory over death at that, that kind of far-off point, that He provides relief in the here and the now in the real time. Real-time relief from the real-time griefs and burdens of everyday living. How do I know that's true? Again, it's, it's God's Word. It's not just my opinion or perspective. Jesus promised that very thing. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29 Jesus says this, Come to Me. There's that invitation. Come to Me. I'm here. I'm available. Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden. That's all of us, Right? Is there any of you that, that would say, oh, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm not in any way weary. I, I in no way feel a burden or a weight that I'm carrying. Of course not. Every single person, that's a, a universal fact that, that there is something in your life that's causing you to be weary. There's something that's weighing you down at, at any point in your life. So Jesus' invitation should be a very welcome one. Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden. That's everybody. And look at this. And I will give you rest. What a sweet, sweet promise that is. What a sweet concept and thought and reality. It's what we all want. It's what we all look for and search for. Everybody's looking for that. Rest. Satisfaction. Fulfillment. You're only going to find it in one place, in the Lord Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. goes far beyond physical rest, as, as great as that is. Soul rest. A deep, abiding rest and peace that, that goes beyond any physical circumstance, any physical situation. Our physical situation changes rapidly, doesn't it? 
I mean, sometimes from moment to moment, this is a rest that goes beyond the physical to our very soul so that no matter what happens outside of us or to us, we have the possibility of rest deep, deep within in in the soul level. And that's what Jesus provides. It's not just victory over death, as great as that is. It's real-time relief. Aren't you thankful for that? Don't you want that? Look to Jesus. And as we do that, as we come to Him, as we take Him up on, on His invitation and what He offers, as we come to Jesus for true rest from carrying so many griefs and burdens, we need to also make it a priority that we carry others' griefs because Jesus carried ours. We carry others' griefs because Jesus carried ours. Last week we said that we, we share in others' burdens. We share in others' griefs because Jesus shares in ours. And so we, we take that and the result is that we go and we share in other people's griefs. Well, it's the same thing with this. Jesus carried all the cause of our grief to the cross. And in response, we should be willing to carry uh, one another's griefs as well. Galatians 6.2 gives us that command, that, that challenge, that calling. Galatians 6.2, the Apostle Paul there says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What Paul is doing in Galatians, he's writing to the Galatian church and he's saying, you don't need to devote yourself to the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic law. There was this group of people that were coming into the church. They were called the Judaizers. And they were saying, Jesus is great, but you've also got to keep the law. If you really want to be completely saved, you've got to still keep the law of Moses. And Paul said, no, 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 not at all. The, the law has been fulfilled in Jesus. You're not obligated to the law any longer. And so he says this, bear one another's burdens, and that's how you fulfill the ultimate law, the law of Christ, which is a law of service and a law of love and a law of of grace and a law of identifying with one another. You really want to fulfill a law? Fulfill the law of Christ. Don't, Don't worry about the law of Moses. Fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is one of love and self sacrifice. So bear one another's burdens. And the Greek word that Paul used for bear here is bastazo. And it literally means to crawl up under and take up. What a, what a great image, right? There's someone you know, carrying this huge weight, this crushing weight, and it's crawling up under that weight and taking it on yourself for them. Crawl up under and take up. So Paul is telling us here to crawl up under that weight that someone else is carrying, take it on ourselves, and that is exactly, you see that picture and that connection, right? That's exactly what Jesus did for us in taking our sin on Himself and carrying it away from us. That's what Jesus did. He took our sin, the cause of all of our grief, on Himself. He carried it away from us. It's a weight we could never carry and He took it to the cross. And so in response, we look out for one another, and we look and see, okay, who's carrying a weight? 
Oh, oh, that person over there, they're carrying the weight and, and it's crushing them. It's weighing down and they're almost down on the ground. Let me, let me go over and I'm going to crawl up under and I'm going to take that weight on myself for them. And it's by doing that we reflect what Jesus did for us as well. There are so many people carrying so many griefs. So many heavy weights of burdens. You don't have to look very far. You just have to keep your eyes open and your heart open and be willing to rush over and help them. And that's how the body of Christ is supposed to function. It's one individual running over to that individual who's, who's being crushed under the weight that they're carrying and, and you take it up under on yourself for them. And then down the road later, they're going to be able to do the same thing for you. So, you know, as I do that for you and, and you do that for me, what a beautiful picture that is, right? The world doesn't have that. The world doesn't offer that. No one out there is eagerly looking and and anticipating whose weight they can carry. They're so self-absorbed on themselves that they would never, ever think about carrying the weight of someone else. Sure, they'd be glad to to hand that weight over to someone, but they're not going to be willing to go over and do that for someone else. That's what should set us apart, church. We should be a body of people that bear the burdens for one another. Weight bearers, burden bearers, grief carriers. That's what should define the body of Christ. How do we do that? I mean, there's a lot of different ways. One, one major way is, is faithful prayer. When, when you ask someone, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? You should ask that with all sincerity, fully intending to do it. Don't let that be just a Christian catchphrase that we're, we're supposed to say. I'm praying for you. No, really do it. And ask specifics. And then go to the throne of grace for them. Intercede for one another. Prayer, that's where it starts, but it certainly doesn't end there. It means someone that is stressed out to the max because of the grief they're, they're carrying and the burden that's on them and the obligations they have. It's, it's taking something small off their plate like having dinner for them and their family and having that ready for them or doing that for them so they don't have to worry about it. Going to get medicine if they're not feeling well. It's going, saying, hey, give me your, your grocery list. I'm going to get your groceries for you because that's the last thing you need to worry about. Hey, let me take your kids for a few hours so that you have time to do whatever it is you need. You need even if it's just time to sit and and pray and, and read and listen to music or it's time to, to catch up on sleep because you haven't had it in so long. Maybe it's you've got this project at your house that you, you've never been able to get to and, and I can help you with that. I have the skill set to do that. So I'm going to go and I'm going to help you with that project that hasn't been done. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways that we can act as weight carriers and carry one another's griefs. There's so many of us here that have recently had to say goodbye to loved ones. I said this last week, but it bears repeating. It's not enough to be close to a family member saying goodbye to their loved one leading up to and during the funeral time. It has to extend beyond that. Because the real life stuff, the going back to, quote, normal, that's when the loss hits even harder. And so it's being sensitive to that, knowing that the Monday through Friday they're going to need our support. and We need to check in on them. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? 
hey, can I come by and, and bring a, a dinner and, and just sit and talk? Grief carriers. Burden bearers. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. That's how we reflect what Jesus did for us. And that's how we will set ourselves apart from a very me-focused world. Let's be eager to do that. Knowing that we have the Holy Spirit's help and the Holy Spirit's direction as we do. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for showing us truly an unforgettable picture in the person of Jesus, the Creator, the Savior, feeling the weight of grief more than anyone else ever could, being willing, being willing to carry the cause of all of our grief on Himself and carry it away from us to the cross. Thank You for showing us what real love looks like. And thank You for being pleased to put all the weight of Your wrath for our sin on Your Son so that we would not have to bear it, so that we would have relief from it, and so that we could be the very righteousness of God. Help us to respond by being willing to come alongside our brothers and our sisters and to carry their griefs, to carry their burdens, and to so fulfill the royal law of Christ. Help us by your Spirit, I pray. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.